Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Come on in and find a seat. And we will we will begin our worship time soon. I hope that you have come today ready to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I do believe that he has great things in store for us today corporately, yes. But I especially believe that he has something great in store for each one of us individually. And my prayer is that we will open up our hearts and our minds to his work today. Can I get anybody that wants to agree with that? Amen. Uh, great. That's great. And um, so let's just let's just do that. Let's open ourselves up to whatever it is the Lord wants to accomplish in us and through us today. And um, it will be a fantastic time together. Um, I hope you received one of these on the way in. It's got a whole lot, an abundance of information in here. Lots of things happening. Please take some time to look through that and see where um, an area that you might be able to connect in. And if you want any further details, don't hesitate to go to our website, woodlandparkchurch.com or woodlandlifecenter.com. Either one of those will take you to the same place where uh, lots of details on these events are happening. Um, we have a great morning in store for you. It's the fifth Sunday, so uh, what we like to do on the fifth Sunday is have a hymn sing. We have at least one person that's apparently excited about that. He'll sing extra loud, too. Okay, there we go. We got about 17 people that are going to sing extra loud today, Todd. So That's right. Um, but we're going to have fun with that, so let's stand together. I want to ask that you would greet a few people near you, welcome them into worship time. Let's sing together. Good morning. See if you know some of these.
seated. Amen. One of the things that uh, is great about Woodland Life Center um, is we are tied into a global network of churches, the Church of the Nazarene. We have uh, work that's happening. Um, all over, even in areas that we're officially uh, not supposed to be in, um, spreading the good news of Jesus. It's a great network of churches, and one of the things uh, that's great about our system is we can invite people into partnership, into membership uh, of our church, and, and we're going to do that this morning. There are uh, seven or so that are ready uh, for membership this morning, and I know that some of them aren't here because uh, they had to work today, but if you are here and you were ready for that, would you just come up and join me? There, there should be a few here. Yes, Carolyn, thank you. Jerry and Julie are here. Is there anybody else? I think some from our Golden Bell staff are, are booked up today and couldn't be here with us, but isn't this great? Um, Jerry and Julie uh, join us from Milford, Delaware, and have been, uh, anybody familiar with Milford, Delaware? Okay, then, you've got a fan. There you go. Uh, and um, are transferring their membership from the Church of the Nazarene in Milford, Delaware. And then Carolyn Ferran has uh, been a part of us now. Uh, see, Jerry and Julie have been here for about a year. And Carolyn, you've been coming for for a while now, yeah. And so joining uh, us today by profession of faith. I just want to say a few words um, from my special black book here. Just a few things about what we believe, just, just a declaration of, of our faith here. We believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We especially emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ and the personality of the Holy Spirit. We believe that human beings are born in sin, that they need the work of forgiveness through Christ and the new birth by the Holy Spirit. 
And that following that, there is a deeper work of heart cleansing or sanctification through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that to each of these works of grace, the Holy Spirit gives witness. We believe that our Lord Jesus will return. Amen. That the dead shall be raised and that there will be a come to a final judgment with its rewards and its punishments. Do you heartily believe these truths? If so, will you answer, I do? Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And do you realize that he saves you even now? Do you agree to unite with us in our desire to win the lost to Jesus and help people to continue in their spiritual growth? And will you partner with us through the giving of your time, your talents, and even your tithes? Well, I want to say a prayer over you, and then we're going to welcome you into membership here and pray that God's richest blessings will be all over you as you continue to seek to know and to do his good and pleasing and perfect will. Jesus, I just pray that you will continue the work that you have already begun in them and through them. Thank you for bringing them to our church family. I pray that you will um, uh, guide their steps as they move into more and more significant ministry here. Um, Open up doors that you want to open up for them. And uh, I thank you for how you've already blessed them and how your blessings will continue to come. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, will you help me welcoming them into membership here? Thank you. Very exciting. We're going to read a little bit from Matthew 6. Did you get that text message, Michael? You didn't? Check out your phone. We're real technologically advanced here. We don't actually speak to each other. We just text. Um, This week, this last two weeks, I'm, I'm just wondering if your life is anything like my life. A few Friday nights ago, my wife and I looked at each other and we said, I feel like we're completely drowning. feel like we're completely underwater. Do you ever feel like that? The balls are too many to juggle. The kids are kind of out of control. My wife's actually sitting in the parking lot right now talking to Granny, got in some car accident, minor, supposedly. The money is flying out the window. We're, we're replacing, we're not replacing, we're taking out wisdom teeth, we're, we got dental issues, we got hip replacement issues, we got issues. You? How about you? And there's something about our world that we spin so quickly, so fast, the text messages come, and they want to be answered right now. Are you exhausted? Are you discouraged? 
Are you overwhelmed? I think I can really handle about three things. And I think I've got 13 right now. So Jesus reminds me today, Todd, do not, I tell you the truth, do not worry. The email can wait. time out for a second. Have you ever wondered, Jesus did not have email. He didn't have text messages. And he wasn't worried about his kids' wisdom teeth being pulled out. I don't, I sometimes wonder if he can really understand. Duh. But just being honest, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, drink, what you're going to spend, worrying about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life about more than food and the body more than just about your clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away. They don't plan. They don't budget. They don't bargain. They don't go to the dentist. In fact, they don't have teeth. And yet, and yet, even then, your heavenly Father feeds them, cares about them. Are you not much more valuable than the little bird pecking on the side of your house? Can any one of you... By worrying, add a single hour to your life. In fact, I ask myself lately, am I actually living? Is this life? And why do you worry about your clothes and see how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor, spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these, is that, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow it burns up, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. You are trying to be God of your little kingdom. You are trying to control everything. Don't do it. Don't worry. Saying, what am I going to eat? Now, how am I going to buy this? And how am I going to do this? And how am I going to control this? For the pagans do that. They run after all these kind of things. And your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Did you hear that? But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his power and his righteousness. And things will be added to you. Probably not more things to do either. But more peace and more joy will be added unto you. Therefore, people, do not worry about tomorrow. 
tomorrow has a whole new set of stuff. Your soul and my soul matter to God. He wants our hearts. Do not worry. And why should the shadows fall? And why should my heart be lonely? And long for heaven above. When Jesus Oh, 
Father, we hear that and we want to say that we know, we know that you are listening, that you're watching. We know that you care. We know that you see what's coming. You know, we know that you at the heart of everything are good and loving and perfect. But we admit today that sometimes we don't, we forget. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we are begging for you to make yourself known. And it feels like you're quiet. Thank you that whether we know or whether we doubt, it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change what you're like. It doesn't change how you're working. We thank you. You're watching. Way more than the little birds. You care.
complete. He is all done. It is finished. Amen. Your separation has been bridged. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the
took my separation, my sorrow. He took my sin and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore thy burden to Calvary and suffered and died. be freaked out and dismayed. Take one day, one moment at a time. Trusting you, Father. Leaning on you, Father. You know all the balls we are juggling. And you're asking us to let go, to turn over many of those balls. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. If that's your testimony today, will you say amen? Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, and we thank you in advance for what you are going to do. We worship, even in the midst, for some of us today, even in the midst of hardness, of, of, of tough times, of, of difficulties, we rise up inside of that and we worship you, we praise you, we adore you, and we know that you inhabit the praise of your people. You are, you are here with us today dwelling among us, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to move freely in our stuff, in the things that are overwhelming to us, in the things that we have been overwhelmed with worry and fear. And we find rest today in you. This is all for you. This is all to you. It is because of you that we sing today, that we worship today, that we have joy in our lives today. And it's in Christ's mighty name we all pray. And everybody said, amen. I want to invite you to have a seat as we prepare to bring our tithes and offerings.
this morning. I want to invite our ushers to join me up here. And Jesus, you are our provider. We thank you for the provision that has come and for the provision that is coming. Take what we have to offer you today. Use it. Bless it. Multiply it. Accomplish your kingdom purposes with it. Build your church with it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And as you're participating in offering, I want to invite you American to watch. journalist Luke Summers and South African teacher Pierre Corti both died from wounds suffered during a raid led by U.S. Special Forces. CCTV's Nathan King has been following this story. He's in our D.C. newsroom. Nathan, U.S. authorities say the pair was murdered by their captives. What do you know? Yeah, a tragic story. This is actually the second rescue attempt, Susan, in two weeks. Been carried out with haste, according to U.S. authorities, who believe Luke Summers was in imminent danger of being killed. It followed the release of a video online on Thursday in which al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula threatened to kill Luke Summers within 72 hours. Someone's made a statement in that video. My name is Luke Summers. I'm 33 years old. I was born in England, but I carry American citizenship and have lived in America for most of my life. It's now been well over a year since I was kidnapped from Senna. Reacting to this failed mission, U.S. President Barack Obama, who personally ordered the rescue attempt himself, issued this statement. As in this and previous hostage rescue operations demonstrate, the United States will spare no effort to use all of its military, intelligence, and diplomatic capabilities to bring Americans home. As for the other hostage, South African Pierre Corky, the Afghan charity Gift of the Givers, uh, says he was actually expected to be released on Sunday following its involvement in negotiations. Report indicates Al-Qaeda had demanded $3 million in ransom. Pierre Corky's wife, Yolande, was herself kidnapped along with her husband in May last year. She was released in January, and here we can hear her recently making a personal appeal to the kidnappers to also release her husband. If we could send in one message, it would be, you are deeply loved, Pierre, and we are so proud of you. Hold on. Hold on. I cannot. The hour of your release will come. Very tragic story, Nathan. Um, what do we know about the raid itself? We know we have great respect for those Navy SEALs who do these types of missions, but what failed? Uh, well, we have few actual details apart from anonymous quotes from U.S. authorities uh, in the U.S. media, but this is what we understand so far. About 40 U.S. special forces were thought to be involved and were backed by Yemeni forces on the ground. Now, according to reports, the mission got within 100 meters of the compound in the southern Shabwa province of Yemen, but was spotted. A firefight followed, and according to U.S. authorities, both Luke Summers and Pierre Corky were shot by their captors. Both are believed to have actually initially survived their wounds, but died within a short time later. And according to U.S. President Barack Obama's statement, information surfaced that Summers' life was in imminent danger, and so therefore he gave the go-ahead for the mission. Remember, this was the second rescue attempt involving U.S. Special Forces in two weeks. One in late November freed six Yemenis, a Saudi and an Ethiopian hostage, but Summers and four other captives had been moved when rescuers got there. Two men held captive. A new story that you may remember from just a few years ago. And 
I wanted to show that one in particular because that sort of is the American perspective of the story, which would have been what we would have heard over here, just briefly mentioning Pierre Corky. And I want to invite up to join me this morning his beloved wife, Yolandi Corky, and George Carey. Could you... Join me in welcoming her this morning. We are so insulated from that kind of terrorism inside of our borders. We see it on the news, we hear the stories about it, we can, we can pull it up just as easily as we just did on the internet and, and engage stories like this, but um, we sit here with someone this morning who spent nine months in captivity with Al-Qaeda. Yolandi, thank you for taking the time this morning to join us. Would you mind just sharing with us a little bit of, of your journey? Oh, oh, yes, I'm sorry. And I'm going to make sure that we have your microphone on. Okay, so George, in fact, I'm going to, let's start with you. George is a part of our church, right? You recognize him. You may sit on the other side of the room from him, so you may not have had a chance to meet him. Um, but George is has had relationship with Pierre and Yolandi. And George, I'd just like for you to share first. Share a little bit about what you do, how you got connected with them. In 20, uh, 2013, uh, myself and a colleague, Bob Flanzer, who's uh, the CEO of an organization that I participate in, Bob's here with us because we're doing a conference uh, this week uh, down in the Springs on hostage event management of all things. Um, we were in Yemen uh, working with Yolandi and her husband and a group of other people uh, that uh, needed some training in uh, field security issues because of the uh, tentative security situation that existed in over, the, over there. If you know anything about Yemen, um, they're in the midst of a civil war now. That hadn't broken out yet, but uh, we're getting close. Um, Yolandi and Pierre were our primary point of contact for that training. So um, we had meals together, we, we lodged together, hung out together, got to know the kids together. And uh, then uh, about three months after uh, we came back to the U.S., uh, I got an email one morning that uh, they'd been taken. And I thought the gentleman that was sending me the email. Maybe he was confused with his English, but there was no confusion. And so that led us into this uh, this issue. And so Bob and I have been following Yolandi and, and her family through this ordeal, through her release. And uh, now we've actually got her here so we can open our honey from Yemen and uh, enjoy some of that. 
Well, Yolandi, would you just share with us a little bit of uh, what's on your heart, your journey? Please. the wonder of technology. It's wonderful, but the wonder is when it's going to work. It's a privilege for me to be here and to be here, spend time again with George and with Dr. Paul. And thank you for allowing me this opportunity this morning to share. I hope you can follow my South African-American accent. Um, I was born in the U.S., but we lived in Africa for most of my life in South Africa. But I'm going to maybe track you through the story how we ended up in Yemen. You can get those slides up, maybe. That's great. And then I'm going to just share about the yeah. So there is Yemen. If you um, might know where that is, it's the bottom part of Saudi Saudi Arabia. Tiny country, but very, very poor. A poor country in the East. And if you think about the Middle East, often it's a beautiful picture. Dubai, you've got the long flying roads and the beaches. You know, you've got a, a, a wealthy picture in your mind. But Yemen is not. It's overpopulated, very poor, and it's like Afghanistan poor. It's really poor. And Somalia poor. It's extremely poor. So, um, Slide. So in 2006, maybe, we were invited to visit the university in Sana'a, the capital. And we came back to South Africa just after that visit, and we said, you know, like, I feel like I stayed too long in Yemen. And he said, yeah, we also feel started thinking about going more permanently. And by 2009, we ended up going, we sold all our stuff, and we were convinced this is where the Lord wanted us to go. So, um, I'll move on to the next slide. That's the capital, Sanaa. Next slide. And we were going to find ourselves living in a country, an uh, Islamic country. So, there were some challenges with that, um, but we managed to get through that. We started to learn the language, which is Arabic. Those first few weeks were stressful. We, we, we found out you can actually put up a house with two Arabic words. Shukran, which is thank you, and hada, which is bad. So we managed, and a couple of hours later, our little truck was packed with furniture. You can move on to the next slide. And uh, yeah, we just um, embraced the, the people. We lived the language. We loved the people. And it was the Lord's love in, that was poured out in our hearts for them. That's the next slide. There we are in the southern city of Taiz. We went to not, we didn't stay in the capital. We moved down. So the kids were still young at that stage. They were with us in Yemen. Also tried to learn the language. And we, okay, the next slide. That's the city that we stayed in. Aha. Did I move on to Kiev? And there's my husband, Pierre. And he just enjoyed spending time with the Africans. We loved them. We just had amazing time with them. We learned so much from them, despite them being Muslim and us being Christians. We 
it's not going to be sea operatives. People have to, um, water is a scarcity. It's not a resource. You can't just open the tap and it'll be there. You get water every six weeks maybe. You fill up your tanks and you've got to make it work. You wash the washing only every second or third day and stuff like that. So it was a challenge. We, we were grown. The Lord was busy stretching us. Um, there was no church. You couldn't go to fellowship like this. You had to take responsibility for your own spiritual life. Next slide, thank you. But we enjoyed it. And you can continue. Next slide. We here hang out with the locals, sharing meals with them. And they just really loved and adored me. And then the Arab Spring started. I don't know if you remember that time in Tunisia. That was 2011. And it sort of spilled over to, to Saudi Arabia's side and into Yemen. And a lot of the foreigners left the country. And at that time, uh, we invited um, Bob and George over to come and do some training, help us be more vigilant. But now our, our sort of normalness was changing. There were fighter planes going over. Um, you know, in the beginning, it would be like, <gasps> and then we the kids would count, you know, there was two this morning and this morning that became normal and in 2013 we were sort of stuck in a difficult space in Yemen passports were in the system you know it doesn't have a system like we have here you go to the office you give in your passports you give them two thousand dollars and then you pray you see your passport you don't have a slip nobody's going to text you and say your passport's ready for collection no DHL you just in faith and it in and we had to have our visas renewed but nothing was happening the passports were missing and Pierre's father who lived in South Africa was um, he was getting really ill and he wanted to come out to see him and it became February March 2013 April May the 20th of May Pierre's father dies and now we're stuck we want to get out but we can't get out and with a big huff and a puff, we managed to get passports extracted. And on 27 May that afternoon, we leave our home and leave our kids at the house. We were just going to go collect our passports. The exit visas has been um, put in the passports. And we were ready to leave within 48 hours. And we left the house and we never came back. We were kidnapped within 10 minutes from leaving our house. Yeah, so um, then we found ourselves being driven up into the desert with people we didn't know. We were going to a place we didn't know existed. We were stripped of all our stuff. First we start with rings and jewelry and phones and debit cards and they took the car and later they took the clothes and that went on and on and on and we sort of in those first few days of just traveling and traveling and being handed over to the next group, to the next group, we started realizing it's okay that they take all of this. But what we've got on the inside, we've got Jesus, they can't take it. There was a real moment where Pierre said he was stark naked under the bush. They'd taken everything from him and he said, Naked I came into this world and naked I'm going to leave. And the only thing that's valuable is Jesus. They can just have the rest. They don't want that. And so we finally, um, yeah, we ended up separated for a while and then put back together, which was grace, grace, grace. 
and I was there with fear for the next couple of months and um, when I was released by an NGO, a Muslim NGO, um, not going to go into the release, it was a bit uh, traumatic, but I was released uh, thinking fear was coming along, you know, always were told it was coming along and it didn't happen that way, it was a lie and few hours later I realized this is not happening, I'm going out by myself and I was given a demand, a ransom, I don't know if they would kill Pierre. And so then I was taken back to South Africa and the long next couple of months, you can move on to the slides there. That's maybe some of the areas where which we drove through. There was just nothing. And there was I on my release with Hamas and Gita the Givers. Um, and there I am back in South Africa just after my release with the and CEO of Gift of the Givers in South Africa, MPR Suleiman, where we had a press conference. Um, yeah, you can move on to the next slide. You saw that um, video clip as well. And then we started raising ransom for my husband so we could at least see how we could get him out. So you can move on to the next slide. And we tried all kinds of stuff. We did videos after videos putting them on the internet, sending them over to Yemen, trying to convince these guys that we were South African, not American, we were paying in rands, not in dollars, it's a big difference, and that he was just a teacher, there was no, he wasn't working for any agency or anything dangerous, he was just a kind, gentle man. And then the wars broke out in Yemen, and that complicated negotiations tribes had to intervene, you can move on to the next slide, places that we knew started being bombarded, if I look back on those pictures I think, did I live there, is that my house just right there, yeah and then George can, I'll get stuck with the hard part, um, I think um, the U.S. attempted a rescue on Luke Summers. You probably heard that in the video. That uh, was a fail. They recovered a bunch of people but uh, missed uh, Luke and Pierre by a couple of days. So um, that was followed on by another attempt. Um, we don't know an awful lot about the rescue uh, or the attempted rescue. We do know that it was uh, one of the SEAL teams, and uh, we surmise that uh, they probably parachuted in in the middle of the night um, at a distance um, because there was an Osprey on station uh, circling when the rescue took place. Um, unfortunately, um, and there's a couple of accounts uh, surrounding the approach of the the rescuers but um, in any event they were compromised on approach about a hundred meters out from the target um, one of the al-qaeda guys saw them so um, he immediately turned ran into the area where the uh, hostages were at and shot both of them with ak-47s so if you know anything about ak-47s um, they're made to kill, and that's basically what happened. Uh, Pierre and um, Luke were both alive for a period of time. 
and they were worked on. Uh, the Osprey came in and extracted them out to a ship at the Sea of Aden, a U.S. ship, the intention being that they would be uh, medically treated there. Uh, neither one of them made it to the ship. And uh, let's see, my first uh, notification, uh, Bob and I had been working on with Yolandi uh, during this period of time. I got a text at about 2 o'clock in the morning that Pierre was dead was the first message I got. That um, And then, of course, the facts started uh, coming out that um, the rescue hadn't gone quite as planned and which those kind of things happen, unfortunately, but uh, I think that is that good. That's uh, really sad about that. Is that the the within 24 hours of having created this, you've actually moved a pathetic amount of brain cells to women, and they were going to. I'd been up all that night talking to Annette. Uh, what size of bolter did they need to buy Pierre so that they could move him? And what if he was still dead? Because the only thing that was really, really sick, and we'd lost his hearing for both his ears. So we were talking through all this stuff. We weren't thinking about the sort of preparing to welcome him back home. The kids were all ready to get their boat back on track. And, and the next morning, the South African government calls and says he's dead. Explain what happened. So that was that, that total story just not ending the way that we wanted to write it. And, and we'd been praying. Everybody was praying. Everybody had faith that he was going to come back alive after all that time. And, and, and he was the hostage for 18 months, five, five, eight days. And then we had to drive up to Johannesburg and see his body and identify his body and then we had to do a news conference and I don't know it might be that some of you saw that news conference it was widely circulated and, and he drove up he um, he said Lord I, I don't know what I'm going to say you know everybody prayed and what now what where is hope about this people are going to say yeah where is your God yes who said he was going to come out alive? And I said, Lord, I just don't know. You're going to have to show me what I'm going to say. So I, I'll get into that just now, how that happened. But I ended up finding myself in that media conference, and I said, the kids were sitting with me, and I said, we choose to forgive. We choose love as we did. And that's where I want to start. And I'm going to leave slide one in my slide. Have a look at my lovely husband. <laughs> I want to start with that news conference because since then, many people have asked me and said, Did you really mean that? Did you, what did you now, a few years later, how can you just do that? How can you just forgive? So I want to maybe this morning share two stories with you. We don't have that much time, but Pastor Brian said it's okay if we go on till five. Is that okay? I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. So yeah, I'm going to take you back to how those words came about, because it wasn't words that I conceived, it wasn't in my script that I was holding, and the Lord had been preparing us to get to that moment. Maybe about four months into the kidnapping, 
I was at a place where I really, really felt I can't go anymore. I don't know where my kids are. I don't know where we are. I was becoming really, really depressed. Um, even Rakim here was sick. I watched him almost die a couple of times. It was a stressful period. The interrogations had finally stopped. And I was really at a bad, bad state. I wasn't coping very well. I was a hostage. But we had the time to think about some scriptures. You know, they've got time when you're a hostage. Got nothing else to do. You can't wash dishes. There's nothing. You can't wash clothes. You've only got one seat. You can't go out. You can't phone anybody. You can't watch the TV. You're just stuck in the room that you're in. So we had some time to think about the Lord. The Lord, and we started writing down some scriptures, trying to just get ourselves through every day. We were literally clinging to those scriptures as if it was a life buoy. We were drifting in the middle of the ocean. We felt abandoned, we felt hopeless, we felt, here we go, so the South African government's got to negotiate for you. That's going to take a long, long time. They not they don't have special forces for people like that. They, they don't really engage in this type of thing. So we, uh, we were at that stage busy thinking and meditating about Matthew 5, verse 44. I'm sure you know that by heart, right? We were thinking about this specific scripture. Now, I grew up in an English household, so the King James Version was my version of the Bible. Pierre was an Afrikaans boy, so he didn't really. But I remembered the specific translation of the, the King James, and it said, um, love your enemies and pray for those that purposefully misuse you. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we, we hear the Lord speaking to us, and we're like, sitting there praying, we tried to divide the day into praying time blocks. Okay, an awful lot of lot of time to pray. So by evening time, it would be time to pray for Yemen, and we would pray the scripture of the day. If that was our scripture, we would pray it for our kids, for each other, for families, whatever the situation was. So we were praying that morning, sitting there praying, Matthew 5, verse 44, and I, as we were praying, the guard knocks on the door, and opens the door. Now, I just want to interrupt for one second and just give you a picture of that. Initially, there wasn't a door there in, in the room. It was just this blanket which they'd nailed so that there would be some privacy between us and them. And then later, they welded a door, a metal door in there, and the door handle was on the outside. The lock was on the outside. So we had no, there was nothing on the inside. We were trapped inside that. I mean, that's a pretty bad feeling to have. And there'd been a couple of incidences where the guards and myself and Pierre had said to them, listen, guys, we understand your culture. Um, I don't look at your woman. You don't look at my woman. If you want to come in here, you're going to have to knock and ask permission. So they sort of, they liked me, and they sort of, yeah, okay, we'll do that. So we were praying. And they knocked on the door, and they asked through the curtain, through the through the blanket. They said, "You called me." I said, "No, I didn't call." And so we kept on praying. We were actually just praying that we could go to sleep, and that tomorrow would come so that we could go home, and that the nightmare would end. We weren't engaging with that scripture at all. And um, this guy knocks on the door again, and this time he opens the the, the blanket and he looks at Pierre, and he says. 
Du god vil være min mand. Jesu regner ud dine gode. But we don't want to get these guys upset every time they get upset they take it out on us and we like, "Oh, what's going on?" And that they lock the door and they continue with their party next door. They have a party every night, planning all kinds of stuff, eating of course snacks and whatever. That was like the dia before. So we would listen listen try to sleep. So we pray, now we're praying with our eyes open, we're looking at each other and I'm thinking, if this guy knocks again, I'm gonna I'm gonna run away. <laughs> I don't want to run away. <laughs> Because it's a, it's not we didn't call this guy and he's getting angrier by the time and we were just going through that prayer again and the next minute he walks into that room and he was furious. He was furious. And he walks straight up to Pierre and there's no P in the Arabic alphabet. It's only B. So poor Pierre is beer and beer in Afrikaans is beer. Teddy bear. He says, beer, you called me by my name. What is it? And I'm thinking, oh, He's angry. So Pierre gets up. You and Bob know Pierre. He puts his hand around this young guy's shoulders and he walks him through the door. Talks, talks, talks. And he comes back and he locks the door. And we look at each other and we say, what is going on? This feels like a Samuel moment, you know. Feels like, Lord, are you talking to him or are you talking to us? The Lord is talking to us. And what we were praying, we were stressed again. We were, every time we stressed, we went back into a fight and flight mode sort of situation. The breathing got shallow and what is this, the danger? And Pierre said, okay, we were praying, we were praying in Matthew 4, 5:44, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute and misuse you. And I said, what? I said, Lord, you're not saying I've got to pray for these guys, are you? Now, I want to ask, I want to ask, Because you've prayed for Al-Qaeda terrorists. So I'm not so alone in this moment. I said, Lord, I'm, do you want us to pray for them? And my wonderful husband said, come, my love, let's pray. And you know what I said? No. Okay. I exploded like a volcano. The first time in four months I was furious. For the first time, I just, it was like a can of Pepsi that someone had shaken, put it in the sun, and then pulled off that top lid. <laughs> I had this list of, of complaints that I brought against the Lord, and I was angry at the Lord. I was really angry. I said, Lord, look what you've putting us through. We don't have a channel. We've not spoken to them. Every time we plead, please, we want a letter to our children. We want to know if they're safe. They say, inshallah, that means God willing. If we kidnap them, we will bring them to you. That's not what I want. That's not what a parent wants. Lord, look what they're doing to Pierre's mom. He, she, her husband dies. The week later, her son gets kidnapped. She's in a wheelchair. What, what is she going to do? What about our kids? They don't know where we are. They don't even know if we're alive. Lord, and can I just remind you about that bomb attack that they're planning for the hospital in Sana? We could hear all the details of that. That was horrendous, and that happened, actually, and, and they were just so in ecstasy about that. Of course, what happened? 56 people in the hospital, they just rammed into the hospital at random shots. Everybody, they were planning this. We could hear them planning it. We understood Arabic. I said, Lord, are you not serious? I have to pray for these guys. Really, I can't. And Pierre said, no, he just 
now suddenly he called that same Beatitudes verse in the Luke version. I said, what? What's that? Luke 6.27 says, if you're willing to listen, I say to you, pray for your, love your enemies and pray for those who hate you. Okay, then what do I need to pray for them? Oh, why do you pray for your enemies? It's easy for us to say, come on guys, let's pray for our enemies. But how? How do you pray for them? Lord, can we have leprosy? I'm just being honest, guys. And as I said that, I recall the story. I was a Sunday school teacher. I recall the story of 2 Kings 5. You can, that's homework. You can read that this afternoon at 7 o'clock in the night. Just three verses. I recall that story of Naaman who had leprosy. But he was, the Bible says, he was a mighty warrior. And he would just take village after village after village, conquer them. And in one of these raids, they must have kidnapped that girl. But the Bible doesn't say how old she is. Maybe she was 10. We don't know. Maybe they kill her parents, her brothers, her siblings in front of her. And she ends up in Naaman's household working for his wife. And she finds out that Naomi is actually really very sick. And you know what she says? She doesn't say, well, let him die, Lord. She says to her mistress, she says, if only my master can meet my prophet so that he can be healed. And I said, oh, I must pray. That's what I must pray for Naomi. Lord, if only they can meet my Jesus so that they can... And that's how we ended up praying, praying for these guys, praying. We knew their names, started praying for them earnestly. And we continued praying, pleading with the Lord for their lives. I was released. I continued praying because now they've got fear. And I don't want them to hurt fear. So I even prayed even more. And then they end up healing. And I end up thinking, what am I going to say to the world? Because everybody was looking. And everybody was saying, you're praying, where's your faith now? And uh, as we sat in that um, house that God can forgive us, waiting for the media conference, I said, Lord, it's actually about what you want to say. This is your story, so what do you want to say? And I, all I could think of was Jesus hanging on the cross. I was sitting there, and I saw Jesus hanging on the cross, and I said, and his last words were, Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I said, Jesus wasn't feeling okay, man. He was in a tremendous pain. He wasn't thinking, oh boy, this is a good moment to forgive my enemies. He was in agony. He was absolutely obedient. He was choosing to do what's on God's heart. And that is to speak the forgiveness, to physically speak it out. I said, that's what I've got to do. Because if I'm a follower of Jesus, then I've got to do what he does. I've got to say what he says. And if that's what he said, that's what I've got to say. So the Lord had come a long way preparing our hearts for that day, for that moment. And it's not easy. There are days that I get up and I think, really? This, this is not, this is not what's going on. It's not easy. My kids are growing up without a dad. And they were really, they really enjoyed him. They, he was the better parent. I always joke and say, the Lord took the better parent 
has got some work to do still on this one. But it's a process. It's an ongoing process. And I had to choose that day if I wanted to stay a hostage to all the people that had actually caused fear. Because we can say Al-Qaeda pulled the trigger, but there's a lot of people's names on those bullets. American government's names on those bullets. They never communicated with South Africa. They ne and they knew there was a negotiation going on for fear. It was all over the media. The South African government's names are on those bullets. They knew um, that we were negotiating. They could have made a noise. They could have said something. There are other role players' names on those, on those bullets. There's a lot of people responsible for fear's death. And, and I said to myself, I'm not going to be a hostage to any of this. Nobody. Everybody gets into that box. And that day we're going to choose to do what Jesus would do. So maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, how does that apply to us? What, what, what are we going to do with this? We're not going to get kidnapped. We're safe in America. And it happens somewhere far away. And I pray that you won't get kidnapped. But I want to, if I may, give you a little bit of homework today. Go home and identify the Al-Qaeda in your own life. Go home and think about who is the terrorist in your life. Who is holding you hostage that you've not forgiven them? Is it, a, is it an uncle that molested you when you were a child? Somebody that beat you up? Is it the guy who shot your buddy and you had to bag him and bring him home? Is it somebody who's driving and texting at the same time and killed your child? Who is it? Who is a terrorist in your life probably? Or maybe it's somebody living in your own house. You'll know. You need to ask the Lord to show you. Because as long as you don't get to the point where you can forgive that person, you're a hostage to them. You're a hostage. It's like I'm drinking the poison, but I'm waiting for that guy to die. You're poisoning your system. The Lord cannot work with that person if you're forgiven. And it's a command in the word. So many times we see that command. Jesus says 70 times 7. Over and over you do that. And you don't have to wait for the day that you're going to feel, oh, this is the day. Feel on top of the world, this is going to be the right thing. You, you don't have to wait for that day. That's something the devil is trying to convince you of. You must just choose to forgive. You must get to that point, but you've got to start where we started, praying for the enemy. Don't pray for leprosy, okay? Pray for the enemy. Pray for them. And as you pray and you draw closer to the Lord, the Lord will prepare to forgive. You see, we want to try and do it out of our own power, out of our own strength. And it's not possible because we're flesh and blood, we're human. But the Lord, through his spirit, needs to work it in your heart. But he started with telling his disciples and his people, pray. That's where he started. And then he ends up with this. Because you see, the, the, the forgiveness is actually the essence of the gospel. If there was no forgiveness, where would we be? And if we want to be followers of Jesus or ambassadors of Jesus, that means we've got to flesh it out. 
tu corazón hay de ti acusar. Un hipocrisia que hace mundo que condena las cosas. That's what I'm not saying. God, that is the right thing I did, and it's okay. It's not okay. Forgiveness and condoning is not the same thing. And we get that confused, and that's why we hold back. I don't want to forgive that man who's molested me, because then I'm saying it was okay that he did that. That's not what you're saying in forgiveness. You're just letting go into God's hands. You can leave. So you've got some homework, a little bit of homework to do. Is that okay? And can I end up with one more s short story so we will look okay with that as well? Like I said, we, were a lot of, we had a lot of time meditating on scriptures. And uh, we got to a time when some of these scriptures are not making sense anymore. And I'm going to go into a topic which people don't want to go into. They don't want to get to the point where they say, I couldn't hear the Lord's voice anymore. Or we got to a place like that where we were house teachers and we said, Lord, how is Psalm 23 true now for us? Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Lord, I, I don't, I'm missing my kids. I think I'm going to die missing my kids. I honestly thought I would die from missing them before I would die from a drone attack. We don't have everything that we need. We lack him. We're not getting food every day. We're not, how is this true? Or what about Psalm 91? You know Psalm 91. Take, they take refuge under the wings of the Almighty, and then it goes on, and 10,000 will fall by your side, and no evil will come close to you, and evil got a hold of us and dragged us into a pit. How is this true, Lord? It's not making sense. Or what about John 14, verse 13? Pray anything and ask in my name, and I will give it to you. And we're praying, Lord, we're praying, and we're not getting released. What, what is this? You're not making sense, Lord, we said. We're not making sense. We're really struggling. And as we struggled, the suffering and the pain and the longing started clouding our understanding of God's goodness. We couldn't see the whole picture anymore. The Lord's voice became distant. We, we were really battling and wrestling with the Lord. And some of that we started realizing was because of our perceptions that we maintained, which the world had given us, that God is good. In that equation, no suffering is going to be there, right? How can he allow suffering? Um, Lord, we couldn't reconcile suffering with your love anymore. And what should we be thinking about suffering as Christians? We had not... We'd not been exposed to that type of thing, and we had a perception that if God is good, that means we're not going to suffer ever. So, Pierre said, or he suggested, well, we've got to figure this out while we're sitting here. We've got the time. He said, we need to think about Jesus' life. We're followers of Jesus, so let's start thinking about his life. And we started with his time in the wilderness where he was really tempted by Satan, and you know how that goes, right? We've all had been on the bad side of Satan, trying to um, tempt us and, and get us into trouble. And, and as we saw in the Bible, it was a difficult time for Jesus. It was really hard. He had the angels come and minister to him after he was in that situation. And then he goes into his life, and we thought about his life, and then we think about the time that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And suddenly something became clear to us. Jesus was now wrestling with his father. 
God was very with us in Western Lakeside. We were sweating there. That's how bad. We went even sweating in a Gobi there. That's really a difficult place to be when you're wrestling with God's word. And Jesus prayed three times. He said, Lord, Father, let this cup go. Lord, I don't want to do this. It's really hard. And we suddenly realized God is able and can say no. Because if there's one person in the whole of the universe for whom he can say yes and should say yes and deserves to have a yes, that's Jesus. But at that moment, he said no. He said, no, I'm not going to let this cup pass you. And that got us thinking really hard. So God can say no. And what is he doing when he's saying no? He's showing the world what his will looks like when it's wrapped in love. He's showing the world that suffering isn't for nothing. It's got a purpose. Because Jesus is suffering had a purpose. He's demonstrating that he's got a plan in suffering. He's demonstrating that he's got an eternal plan, a picture, which we can't necessarily see because we're limited. And so what about our suffering, Lord? That was Jesus' suffering. We can see that there was a purpose. But what about us? We're working here for you, Lord. We, s- we know that you had to be here. How could this be hard? We, we, we try to think of all the sins we've done and all the sin, sins we're going to do. And, and, and goodness, even this age, it doesn't make sense. And we have to come to a place where we realize that suffering was actually part of what's going on in scriptures. If you think of the last chapter, the last verse in, in chapter 16 of John, just before Jesus prays for his disciples, that, that high priestly prayer, he says there, he says, in this world you're going to have it easy what he said? No, that's not what he said. He says, in this world, you will have troubles. There's going to be sufferings and trials. But take heart. I've overcome them all. He did not ever say, because you're my child, you're exempted from suffering. And you can go read. This is also a link. Go read Hebrews 11. Go read um, uh, 1 Peter 2. Go read through Philippians. Go read through what all these other people in the Bible went through. Job. The Bible is full with examples of people suffering. But it's as if our brains don't want to take that part. No, that's not. We can't do it. God can't put us through things like that. And we learned in that difficult space that suffering was drawing us closer to God. It was teaching us to pray. It was giving us a new relationship with the Lord based on what the Word said, not what the world said. We could put our faith in God because He is who He is because of what the Word says of Him, not what the world's picture is of Him. It's almost like if you look at the, I don't know what the moon status is right now, but it's just a little slither like that. You look and you see that slither, but you will wait. The rest of the moon is there. You can't see it. I know that's how it is when we suffer or we go through trials. We start to sort of think, okay, that's just that slither that exists. But the rest of the moon is there. You've got to keep trusting the Lord is who he is. Even though you can't feel him there. Even though you can't see the outcome of this. Even though he says no. And he can give you the miracle that you're praying. But he can say, he can say no. 
because he's God, but he's got a bigger picture in mind. And the very most important verse that I want to leave with you um, is the one in Genesis, uh, Genesis 49, I think, verse 20. In Joseph's story, you know Joseph's story. He was our first kidnapping event <laughs> written up in the Bible for us to see and read about. And he was reunited with his parents and, and everything went well. And then when he, he saw his brothers and they said to him, please don't kill us, please don't hurt us. We did bad to you, we did evil to you, um, we, we did wrong. Joseph says these words in verse 20. He says, what was planned for evil, my God is the God who can change it and turn it into good. And that is what I want to leave you with today. Even though people out there plan evil, God is not the author of evil, but people choose evil. People choose to do evil to each other. If we trust the Lord and we can trust him, he's the one that can turn that evil into something. Amen. ask us to do something here this morning. I, I hope your hands are empty or maybe you can empty them. With your eyes closed, I want you to make really tight fists with your hands right now. In those fists is your Al-Qaeda. holding you hostage. The harder you grip right now, the more strength you are putting into holding that tight fist represents the energy that you're constantly putting into your captivity. What you're harboring in your heart and your mind it takes energy and it's and and if we're honest with ourselves we right now we know that it it zaps us it drains us it will it overtakes our 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 thinking it we can become consumed by it we can become fixated on it Yolandi has encouraged us today to not be captives, but to allow the peace and the grace and the mercy of Jesus to wash through us in such a way that we can experience freedom. And she has put before us, as we have so many times talked about in this room, how important it is to choose to forgive. If you're in a place this morning where you are ready to do that, you are ready to begin that journey of, of release, of deliverance, of freedom, of, of, of forgiveness with the single action of releasing your fist into an open hand. Holy Spirit has, 
as we are doing that right now in this moment, I'm asking that you will begin the process of freedom in our hearts and our minds. Give us the strength, give us the courage to make the choice to forgive, to let go of what we've been so bound by, what we have been so gripped by, what we've been holding so tightly onto. Give us the strength to let go, to release it into your hands and begin to experience the freedom that you have for us, for it is the freedom that Christ has set us free. That is, that is the heart of Jesus washing over us right now. And feel the release of that tension. church, there's more to the process of forgiveness than that, but right, there's just a perfect image of how physically we can experience that bondage because of what has happened to us emotionally or verbally, relationally, even physically. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us of our trespasses. And thank you for giving us the strength to forgive those who have trespassed against us. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Yolandi, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your heart and your story today. Um, I'm rendered speechless, and that's a major accomplishment. I'm a very wordy person, but I, my Americanized mindset is shaken today. And, and it's not de-Americanized, it's not that, it's just that I need, I need a better global understanding of God's love for the world. And I feel like so much of who I am is wrapped up in God's love for the stars and the stripes. And it's humbling to sit next to you knowing that my government really holds a good deal of responsibility for the loss of your hope. Um I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't even, I'm not really worthy of, of, of saying this to you, but I don't know if anybody from America has asked for your forgiveness. But if not, I'd like to do that. But I think that it's, I think we need to know in here, this is the first time that she has spoken in America. 
So uh, I'll just get a little more by that. humble ourselves. We're all on a journey. And sometimes when our journeys intersect, there's we can cause pain. Um, we can inflict trauma. And I... I know our government's intention was good. They were trying to do the right thing, but they really messed up. And I, I suppose what you're saying to me right now in this moment is, man, that is, that is a human problem. We all mess up. We all make mistakes, and sometimes our errors can really cause major trauma. Um, give us the strength to humble ourselves before those that we've offended. Give us the strength to humble ourselves before those that we have wounded. And, and man, say what needs to be said. Apologize, ask for forgiveness. We're all guilty of that in one way or the other. Thank you for Yolandi. Thank you for how she has expressed to us today what the heart of God looks like even in the midst of suffering. We have <laughs> our Americanized reality. We're so insulated from suffering. We we don't comprehend it. We've not, most of us in this room have not really endured it to this degree, to the degree that can be so normal in other parts of the world. We, we do thank you for that protection, but we need you to come to us now and globalize our eyes. Help us to see the world as you see it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Even when it means that we need to pray for those that truly hate us, Al-Qaeda or ISIS or whomever the radicalized group might be rising up today. We haven't even heard of them. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to truly pray for those who mean and, and, and intend to bring harm to us. And if they so accomplish it, empower us to continue to pray for them, for their souls, for, for your grace and your mercy to inter, intersect them at their journey. And, and reveal truth to them. The same truth that you have revealed to us, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because it is the grace of God that has 
redeemed, not our works, not our good deeds, not our own personal righteousness, your grace and your grace alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we thank Yolanda one more time? published a book on her story. There are only so many copies here. Um, the table is back in this corner, and um, there are some for sale, and then there are, it's also available on Kindle, and so this is, yes, here it is right here, 558 days, so you can, you can pull it up on Kindle, and, um, but there are some paper copies here this morning. And, and she's willing to stick around and meet with you, talk with you. You may even get a, an autographed book this morning. Let me say a blessing over us as we depart. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. May he fill you with his peace. Have a truly profound and power-filled week. Yes, Lord.